We're, uh, we're in um, Mark chapter 9 today. Um, just an amazing um, passage here. And, you know, within any service that we have, uh, we call this a gathering. Uh, we'll call it Sojourn Gathered. Um, we call everything else we do Sojourn Scattered. Because as I mentioned before, we believe that every Christian is a missionary and every Christian's a minister. It's not just, it's not just about Dave as a pastor who's the one who does the work of ministry. Actually, my job is to be a player coach. Ephesians 4 says that I'm supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that just means helping Christians to walk out um, the Christian life and uh, to know that they're ministers. And um, uh, so we, uh, we're jumping, jumping further into uh, the book of Mark um, in this, this crazy story uh, called the Transfiguration. Um, you know, when, uh, when Jesus invites us to come near to him, um, when he invites us to pray to him, he invites us to come and to worship him, when he does that, he does powerful things. And this is a picture, it's just kind of a, it's like a, a mini nuclear explosion in the, in the spirit realm that took place um, on this day. And Ultimately, you can kind of look at it as God has, there's a, there's a couple of things that God does. One is he reveals himself as Savior, which leads to understanding about himself and repentance. And secondly, he reveals his power and his glory to you and to a few others because you have a community of people. And so where we're headed in all of this is to know that God wants us to understand Jesus as Savior. He wants us to repent and believe repent of our sins, turn away from all of our selfishness and to believe in who He is. And then secondly is to pursue Him and His glory with a few other people. That's what we see. So let's pray and then we're going to unpack this scripture, okay? Lord, uh, thank You that You've come to us because we could have never gotten to You. Thank You, Lord, that uh, you invite us, just like you did with Peter, James, and John in this story. You invite us to, to come close to you. And then in that, God, you open our eyes just a little bit more of the, the beauty, the majesty, the power of who you are. Holy Spirit, I can't do that today. I can't do that uh, to my friends that are here. I can't even do that to myself. But, Lord, we just kind of open our palms up. We just kind of open up our hearts and just say, God, would you do that to us today? Uh, those of us who are Christians say, God, reveal more of who you are. Show us more of your power and your majesty and your glory. And God, we certainly pray for any of our friends in here that are not believers that today you would open their eyes and reveal yourself to them, God. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the story. Um, Mark 9, 1 to 13. I'm going to read through it and then we're going to unpack it uh, kind of from the back end and then we'll go to the forward. To the front part. Uh, Mark 9, starting verse 1. He said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took, him, took with him Peter and James and John and led them to a high place by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, 
Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Now there's the word of God right there. And as we say around here, that's the most trustworthy part of any gathering that we have is when we speak the Word of God, pray the Word of God, sing the Word of God, because that is God's voice speaking over our lives. Now, what we want to do is we want to unpack this. And uh, I want to start us with uh, with the the end of the story, verses 9 to 13. And and I'll I'll read it again, then we'll uh, jump into it. Um, So this is the end. After they've already gone through this this incredible event, it says they were coming down the mountain, verse 9. He charged them to tell no one what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Okay, guys, Peter, James, and John have just had the experience of a lifetime. Now, later on, John had an amazing vision, you know, of the future, uh, ultimately called the Revelation, and he wrote that down as well. But this was truly an experience like no other. And now they're unpacking it with Jesus as they're walking down Mount Hermon. Um, Now, just pull out for just a second. I want you just to note that this is Jesus' model of discipleship that's being shown to us right here. That what we do is that we walk, that we experience life, we compare it to the gospel, and then we walk it out together. Right? The things that happen to you daily, uh, and I know you're, you're working or you're in school and you're not walking with your Christian friends in, in all of the different arenas of, of your life, but then you kind of come together, you call each other on the phone, you email, you text, and you say, Let me, I just need to process something with you. You end up at a journey group, which is our groups that meet all over the city. And you start processing over lunch or over coffee just what's been going on. And, and what we want to do, we want to train people in Sojourn Church in understanding what the gospel is and understanding what, what are the ramifications of God coming, becoming a man, the God-man, living a life we'd never live, dying on the cross for our sins, purchasing a ransom and, and freedom from all of God's wrath because he took it upon himself, and then rising again from the dead. To be able to say, how does that speak into every area of our life? Unpacking that and walking that out together. I mean, I just love this picture. Just imagine Jesus and these three taking the time, coming out of the mountains, out of this mountain, walking through, and, and Jesus teaching them. Um, how many of y'all you like you like the mountains? How many of y'all are hikers in here? How many of y'all you like uh, mountain biking, uh, like getting out on on mountains or 
in the mud, stuff like that. All right? I think it's amazing we see Jesus loved the mountains. Now, he made them, so he'd be better, right? But he frequently would get away, and, and here's a time in which he went uh, up on, on Mount Hermon. Uh, most likely it was Mount Hermon. It was the, the largest one in this area. And uh, they experienced this, and they came this down. They'd just seen Elijah and Moses, and Jesus tells them not to tell the others about this. So, so don't tell the other, don't tell the other uh, nine disciples, and don't tell other people about what has just happened until after I've resurrected from the dead. And so then they're just thinking to themselves, what does this resurrection really mean? What's it, what's it mean? We don't fully understand it. And then, I mean, of course, they, they've got questions. They said, you know, these... The theologians, the Jewish theologians say that Elijah must come before the Messiah comes. And so Jesus starts unpacking that a bit with them as well. Jesus, he says, Elijah has come back already. And you say, well, wait a second. Sounds like some kind of Eastern religion. It sounds like reincarnation. It's not. We're not talking about Elijah coming back from the dead uh, and being reincarnated in some person. Jesus was saying... The person who would be like the second Elijah has come, and it was, anybody know? John the baptizer. His cousin. He's saying he's already come, and they've already treated him badly. He was another Elijah in in intensity and in authority. John was that man. And he says, but guys, don't talk about this yet until after I've resurrected from the dead. And just a point in this to... That will, that will run all the way through is, guys, you don't understand Jesus if you don't believe the resurrection. Um, some of you, maybe, or certainly some of your friends that you have, have a respect, maybe tip their hats to who Jesus is. They're spiritual, but they don't believe that He's God the Son and the only way to salvation. Or maybe they don't believe He rose again from the dead. Maybe has some good teachings that we should listen to, but He's not God. Guys, you don't understand and you don't get the Christian life unless you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. He cannot be just a good teacher. He can't just be a morality coach. He must be the God-man who rose again from the dead. Now this brings us, brings insight as we get to verse 1 in a minute where it talks about the kingdom of God coming in power. A God-man being resurrected is what brings that. So let's do a flashback. So we're about a week earlier from this moment. These guys are walking down, walking down uh, Mount Hermon. Now let's go back about six, seven, maybe eight days earlier in verse 1. He said to them, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Okay. Now, taste death, that was just an idiom that they used that just means to die. To die. It doesn't mean sleep. It doesn't mean coma. It means people were, were going to die. Um, they w- will not taste. The Greek verb that's, that's here, it, it doesn't just mean sample a small amount, but it means to experience something cognitively or emotionally. All right, to come to know something. And so we're, we're not just talking about spiritual or allegorical death. We're talking about real death, saying there's some of you that you will experience the kingdom of God coming before you die. All right? So, but now he says, he's saying this, and so the the question is, then what does that mean? What was he referring to? Now, here's some options that pastors and theologians over the years 
um, have in, uh, in understanding what this means. That this, this could have meant the second coming. Because again, we're talking about the kingdom of God coming in power. And then some people would say, well, that, that means when Jesus comes back again from the dead. That's what he was meaning there. All right? Um, some would say that he was talking about the resurrection. Okay? That, that the kingdom of God coming in power in the body of Jesus Christ and ushering in something, something totally new with the firstborn of the, of the dead, which is Jesus, the first who was resurrected. There's some who believe that he was talking about the transfiguration, that the kingdom of God was going to come in power. Some of you, some of you will, will, will not be dead you know, when, um, when this takes place. Some of you will be alive when this takes place. And, and, and so then it would be, you know, okay, not just talking about the disciples that were here, but the, whoever was around in the crowd that he was speaking of. Another option is that the, some of you all will be alive when the kingdom of God comes in Pentecost. Pentecost, that after the resurrection of the dead, when the Holy Spirit came in power, it was a complete change over in life, the kingdom of God coming through the birth of the church. It's a new family of people where the Holy Spirit resides in people instead of just, instead of just resting upon them. Because up to that point, if you read through the Old Testament, you have the Holy Spirit coming in and empowering Samson or coming and resting upon David for a short time and then he would, he would come back. He did not live and reside within them. But the point came when, when the kingdom of God, just there was a new gateway that they walked into to where everyone who believed, now the Holy Spirit came and he lived inside of them. Okay? The kingdom of God coming in power. Um, if, you, if you recall the story of the day of Pentecost, that, that there were people that they, they, it was like a tornado that they heard, you know, and so people started gathering around, there's this, all of these Christians were in the upper room, and, and it says that, that there were like, it looked like there were flames of fire that were above each one of these people, because the Holy Spirit was coming, and coming to indwell, to indwell them, something powerful took place, um, I believe that that's what is being referred to here, and and uh, you certainly can disagree with me. It's, it's, it's not a huge issue here. But I think that that's what he was saying about. Because uh, certainly, at the very least, Judas was not alive um, when, when the, uh, the day of Pentecost came. That he was one, at least, that, that was dead at that point. And it was a whole new gateway, a whole new world uh, started forming as a result of, of that day because of Christians and because of the church. And guys, I want you to know something. Christians, you are the church. I, I've loved in our past that we've met in a brewery. We've met in two different breweries. That's where we've gathered and worshiped Jesus. I love that we gather right here in the middle of the city, that we gather in a bank, which is a place where people worship other things. That we come and say, all right, it's not about the buildings. It's about Jesus and about His people and what He wants to do in a city, in our own Jerusalem, and around our Jerusalem, and all the way around the world as a result of the power of God. Guys, you are the church, and God will fulfill His mission through you. So be strong and be confident. Your confidence is not in yourself. Be confident in Christ. Because He will build his kingdom. He will build his church. And he uses 
imperfect folks like you and me. Be strong, be confident in Christ, be confident in Him, and have a faith that God enjoys using you and me. Now let's move forward and talk about the transfiguration. Verse 2, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Okay? So let me just, just picture that. Um, now, Mount, Mount Hermon is a place that's snow, it's snow-capped. Um, uh, at least it would have been there. I, I think it's snow-capped most of the year. But a, a big, uh, beautiful mountain. Uh, and, and so I don't know exactly where he went, but Jesus loved to hike. And so he took three of his boys... They went up. Um, I've been there. I've been to Mount Hermon um, in 1986. There's nothing really special about Mount Hermon. So be careful. Don't, don't think that, okay, all right, well, if you, if you get away, and if you just get in, it's nature. Nature's the key. If we get out and find just the right trail, just the right waterfall, that's where Jesus will meet me. Now, chances are Jesus, he's going to meet you there because he loves, he loves beauty. But be careful. Don't. Don't, don't make it about a location. Make it about getting alone or getting, getting away with Jesus. That's what it's about. Gathering with Jesus Christ. It's about Him revealing His glory to men. And so Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to come with Him. Invited Him to pray and experience a revealing of Jesus' majesty. Luke uh, 9, verse 28, we're not going to go there, but in, in that portion of, of this story, Luke adds that, that Jesus, he said that he took them to the mountain to pray. He also adds in there that they fell asleep. And that ultimately, when they woke up, the transfiguration was going on. And so it's, uh, it's an interesting story. But now, for the last part of verse 2, he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. The word transfigured, um, the term means to change in form or to be transformed. And they saw this. They saw this take place. And here's, here's, what, here's what, my, what my understanding of this is. That either Jesus was being transformed to look like and His glory to be revealed like it was before the incarnation, before he was born, that either that's what we're getting here is a vision of what the great glory of Jesus, or at least a part of the glory that Jesus had before he became the God-man was like, or this was, this was like a, a fast-forwarding of what his glory was going to be like after he was resurrected. Either way, it's good. Either way, it's great because Jesus, he's just saying, guys, I'm just going to give you a peek. It reminds us back in, I think it's Exodus uh, 33, where Moses said, he said, show me your glory. It's one of the greatest statements that a person can make to God is say, show me your glory. It's one of the greatest prayers that I can pray. One of the greatest prayers you can pray is, God, would you reveal your glory to me? You be able to say, God, would you show me more of yourself? Now, as a Christian, you don't get more of God. Sometimes we pray that and say, God, give us, give us more of you. And in a theological way, it's not that we have a deficit of the Holy Spirit in us. We've got all the God that we're going to get, but we don't have all the revelation of who He is. And so we're saying, God, reveal more of Yourself to me. God, show me Your glory. And, and back then with Moses, 
um, God said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put you in this crack in this mountain. And I'm, I'm going to go past and I'm going to, I'm going to cover my hand over you. But as I go back, then as, as I've already passed you, I'll remove my hand and I'll reveal a little bit of who I, who I am. And, and guys, don't think of it as, as just some big giant like from Lord of the Rings that was going, going boom, boom, boom by, past this mountain and then he let him see his calves. That's not what the deal is. It's that the glory of God, he, he, he just opened up his spiritual eyes a little bit to Moses. And that's what's going on here. And if he just opens up our eyes a little bit, it blows us away. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Somebody say, God, show me your glory. I mean, I challenge you guys, let's, let's make that a prayer today and this week to just say, Lord, we beg of you. I beg of you for my life. Would you show me your glory? God, I beg you for my family. Those of you guys who are married, got kids, to say, God, would you show us your glory? And please, in your journey group and in your church, would you say, God, show us your glory? I was talking with Keith and Megan last week, and uh, and they're just they're we were just kind of talking about worship and worshiping God. And I said, uh, you guys, I said, would y'all join me in just praying that God would just open up a spirit of worship on our church like never before? That, God, that you would, you would help us just to be a, completely abandoned, that all of our inhibitions and in the way that we worship you privately and corporately, that we just, whew, we just release. Just say, God, come. Come and do powerful things among us. And that's what we're seeing here in the corporate realm of what happens when, when you do that. Our lives are are filled with moments where our view of Jesus is dull, and then boom, we see this greater reality of our, of our God. I mean, Jesus, He leads us to His glory and to the worship of Himself, and His desires that we see Him glorious and that we would be permanently scarred for life by it, a great, healthy scar, that there's something by which we would always look and just say, I mean, just have these moments that just say, man, God just showed up in a tremendous way like that. A mountaintop experience. That God would, would do that. And I'm praying that. He said the divine, the, the glory that took place there made even His clothing radiate a brilliant white light. Now see, I don't know whether it was like His glory before he became the God-man or glory that he would have after resurrected form. Either way, this is the Jesus of today. He's got all this glory. He is glorified. He is powerful. He is no longer bound um, by a human body. And I use that word bound very loosely. But in, in, the, in the limitations that he had, he has no more of those limitations. If you could see him now, if we could see him now, how powerful it would be. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is here. We're not saying that he's, he's far off. We're just like, hey, God, if you just every maybe five years, if you kind of show up and reveal yourself. This is what I want us to, to think through and process through is that God invites us to worship him and he invites us to say, God, blow us away. Show up in power. Give us a greater glimpse of the depth of, of who you are. 
It makes me think of Paul when he met Jesus. Paul, at that point, his name was Saul. And he was blinded by the glory of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And I love the irony that's there in Paul's life. You have a man with physical sight who's spiritually blind, who becomes physically blinded so he can have spiritual sight. How powerful is that? That is what God does when He shows up and reveals Himself to someone who's an unbeliever. Guys, this happened last night. That as we were at the student conference last night, before before we were there and before we had prayer, um, praying for everything, praying for everyone that was going to be there, um, I was told by, by Josh, the, uh, the youth pastor who put this on, uh, he said, listen, he said, he said, I don't know if she's going to show up, but there's this, there's this atheist, um, atheist student who's from Norway, that she's an exchange student, and that this, this uh, other student has been building a relationship with her for weeks or months, and uh, sharing the gospel with her, and I think she's going to come tonight. And so we were praying and said, God, bring her. Bring her tonight and reveal yourself to her and reveal yourself to all of us. We were praying this. And uh, again, Dave and Karen Burke spoke yesterday morning. Matt McDaniel, the band, they led worship. God's hand was upon those guys. I preached last night. And Jesus opened the eyes of this girl. He showed up where she had physical sight but spiritual blindness. He gave her spiritual sight. He opened up her eyes. He opened up her ears. He unshackled her spiritual wrists to where she was able then to reach out to this God that loves her. Guys, it was tremendous. And this is, every one of you who is a Christian, God did that in your life. He came. He unshackled you. He revealed something about Himself. And He freed you. He freed you. So now, this person who is their friend is now their sister in Christ. And, uh, and they're doing follow-up because, you know, I don't know everything that took place in, in her heart, but I know this. Jesus is going to get her no matter what. No matter what exactly happened last night, God's hand's upon that, that student. God's hand's upon you today. And if you're one of my friends who's an unbeliever, I just want you to know, if you're a guy, you're a had lad. If you're a girl, you're a had lass. God will reveal Himself to you. It shows, I believe, the importance of these guys pulling away. Jesus saying, come with me. Let's pray. Come with me and worship me. And that's what, that's what the church is to be, a group of followers of Christ who are worshipers of Christ, who they come together, they gather, and they say, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about me. Last night, I mean, we sung Bible-drenched songs. We worshiped Jesus. We prayed and begged Him to come and change lives. Scripture was proclaimed. He was glorified and He came powerfully among us. That is why we gather. And that's the reason why we need to have a high value of consistently gathering under the Word of God and under the worship of God because we want Jesus to come and move things around. Don't we? That's why we gather. 
It's what we want to happen. And, and I just ask you all this. Do you value, do you value being a people of God that gathers consistently to come and worship? And, and if you're at a place where, you know, I've just kind of gotten neutral or apathetic about it, man, I just I want to press you in, not because of sojourn, not about the filling the chairs, but because he's so worthy of it. It's his design. He says, come to me, pray to me, proclaim me, worship me, and I will blow you away. Blow you away. Do you need to recommit yourself to God's powerful design of corporate worship, being a part of what it means to come and worship your Savior? If you do, then just do it. There's no guilt trip. It's a freedom trip. Come, come to Jesus. Verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. All right, so why Moses? Why Elijah? These were primary leaders of the Jewish faith. And they also represent the scriptures of God. Um, the, uh, the Jews would call it the Tanakh, um, the law, the prophets, and the writings, what we call the Old Testament. And so their presence here, Moses and Elijah, it's similar to God the Father on Jesus' day of baptism when he was proclaiming, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now you have these guys that Elijah, or Moses represents the law, Moses, uh, Elijah represents the prophets, and Jesus and other disciples, they a lot of times will refer to scriptures, the Jewish Bible that we call the Old Testament as being the law and the prophets. And so you got a guy that's the law and the guy that's the prophets. And so you got the two of them that they're standing there and, and through this they're saying, we affirm that this is God here. It's not about us. And, and it's like Moses saying, I affirm that the law is all about Jesus. And it's like Elijah saying, I affirm that the prophets, it's all about Jesus. So it's like saying, the Old Testament is entirely about the Savior who is Jesus. And that is the truth. The Old Testament, it's all about going toward the cross. Jesus taught, uh, Jesus taught um, them later you know, the disciples later about how the Old Testament uh, referred to him. Luke 24, 42 to 45. This is after Jesus was resurrected. And he's having fish with them for breakfast. I just love the picture. Um, they gave him a piece of rolled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Um, all kinds of re- neat ramifications of a resurrected body that still gets to eat. That's awesome. All right. Barbecue. We're going to still have barbecue someday. All right, He ate before them, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, written about who? About Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Jesus made it very plain. The Scriptures, the Old Testament, it was all about him. So what were these guys talking about? All right, um, What did they say? Well, it's not revealed doesn't say what, what they were talking about. My hunch, they're talking about the cross. Everything was pointing to the cross. Everything before the cross is pointing toward the cross and the resurrection. 
Everything after the cross and resurrection is pointing back to the cross and the resurrection. I believe they probably were talking about, man, just the big story of history, which is there was a perfect creation, but then there was a fall. But then there's a redemption through Christ, through the cross, and someday there will be a consummation, a restoration of all things, all things, all that's been broken will be put back together. All rebels will be put away. All those surrendered to Christ will come. I don't want to get into a long thing about heaven, but just just so you know, and if you like eschatology, which is end times type of things, uh, or if you don't even know what that word is, um, heaven is not somewhere ethereal that's up in the sky that will be forever and ever. Heaven is going to be earth, uh, or maybe a different planet, but God's going to recreate this world or restore this world. It could t- maybe recreate this entire universe. We're not sure exactly what it's going to look like. But God, it's going to be, we're going to get to experience creation again. But it will be even better than it was before the fall. Even better. All right. So maybe they're talking about that. I'm not really sure. But um, they certainly were pointing to the Messiah who would come to rescue. Um, verse uh, Verse 5 through 8. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For they did not know what to say, for he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. You, You get it? I guess so. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus. It says they're terrified. And, and I believe that's what happens when, when Jesus really shows up. That, man, we, we can't just stick with the status quo. We can't just be bored with the cross. When Jesus shows up, when He gives us a greater glimpse of who He is, there is a sense of of terror that's upon us. Not one where we're afraid He's going to destroy us. That's not what they're saying here. But one of just basically saying, woe is me, oh my goodness, I, I am so small and you are so huge and you love me. It's a, it's a beautiful, a holy terror that takes place to where all of a sudden I mean, we, we just, you know, it's not just Jesus is my buddy that we just, we play racquetball, you know? Hey, Jesus, what did you think about that last sin? We're not flippant about Jesus. We're in awe when He shows up. And again, even right now, every time that we meet, as we're singing, you should be praying, God, come. Come in power. Reveal yourself. When I'm preaching, or other people are preaching the Word of God, that you should be saying, God, come. Come in power. Help us to be uncomfortable in our apathy. Help us to be uncomfortable in our unbelief. God, blow us away in the beauty and the power, the depth of, of who you are. And so as a result of that, it says Peter didn't know what to say. And this is strange because Peter always had something to say. He always had something to say. And he said something. You know, he says, it's good for us to be here. Well, I guess so. Yeah. That's a very true statement. Very true statements. And when God's family comes to worship Him, you know what? It's good to be there. It's good to be 
where people are worshiping Jesus Christ. It's good to come together and just to say, Jesus, please show up. Now, let me unpack that really quickly. Like when we say, God, would you come? When we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? We know that God's everywhere, His omnipresence. That's not what we're talking about. We know that, G- that the Holy Spirit inhabits and dwells every believer. He's, he lives within us. There's never any place that we go that He's not there. That's not what we're talking about either. We're saying, I mean, Jesus was there too. But something happened. Something happened that was powerful as a result of the prayer and the worship and Jesus just saying, I am going to reveal more of my glory. That's what we want. And that's a prayer that I have for our church and for our city. The churches in our city that God would just pull back the curtains and give us a greater glimpse of who He was. And we can't be, we can't be ashamed, we can't be comfortable, we can't be apathetic when He shows us who He is. We basically say, God, help us to magnify You and please blow our minds. Peter said, uh, we could build some tents or some booths and, and um, the Feast of Tabernacles was close. It was coming soon. And, and uh, they, the Jews, they'd get away for a few days and they'd live in tabernacles and tents and it reminded them of the days of Exodus, of escaping, getting away from the world, which, getting away from Egypt and, and walking with God in, in the wilderness of this, this world. And, and he basically was saying, well, listen, let's, let's create these for you. Let's, for you and, and for Moses and for Elijah. Um, Peter, Peter had a good idea and part of it. But in doing that, he was saying, all right, let's honor you and honor Elijah and Moses in the same way. And the Father steps in. And the Father corrects things. He corrects this mistake by honoring Jesus alone. Peter was honoring Jesus, but he didn't go far enough. And, and this shows again, there is an exclusivity in Jesus Christ. He is the only Son. He's the only Savior. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And there's many well-meaning people that do kind of what Peter was doing in a way. That, that people that, they're just like, they, they'll respect Jesus, but they'll just kind of put Him on the level of, of good philosophy, of good morals, or, or other spiritual teachers, or other scriptures that are out there. They'll, they'll honor Him, but they don't honor Him enough, and that doesn't work. I was in a, I was in a neighbor's house earlier this week, and she pointed out to me two Buddha statues and asked me what, what I thought about them. And uh, there was also a, uh, a Hindu statue um, at, that was out as well. But she asked me, and she's, and she's a Christian, um, this neighbor of mine, and she just asked me what I thought, and, and I, I told her, I said, I just with a smile on my face and just as gently as I could, I say, well, for a Christian, it's inappropriate because you're displaying, you're displaying the height of another religion, of, of others that would say, if you go and follow their way, they say that that's the way to salvation. If you'll follow the way of, of the Buddha, or if you will sacrifice things 
to this God over here. And um, she was very close to giving them to me so that I could, I could destroy them. And uh, I'm going to follow up with her later, later on. But it was a good conversation that we had. It was very gentle, um, but uh, we were just able to process through those things. And again, it's easy to be well-meaning and to, to honor Jesus, but to bring honor of other things to the same kind of level. And that is not appropriate. It's not, appro- it's not accurate. There is no other way. And to you who may be my spiritual friends that are here or listening to this, who respect Jesus, that is not enough. There cannot be worship of many gods or many ways. The Father requires that it's on Christ alone and upon His works alone or you will be judged on your works alone. There is no middle ground. And so my my charge to you, if you're an unbeliever, an unbelieving friend in here or listening to this, repent and believe. Let go of any other gods in your life, which of course includes you. And turn to Christ. Father, he mentions, he's speaking toward the, the deity of Jesus. He's saying, this is my son. And uh, just so you know, there's, there's, other, there's cults out there and others that they, they say they believe in the Bible, but don't believe that Jesus is God. Listen, um, there's nothing that there's nothing that has an offspring that it's not from the same substance of the parent okay what that means is god the father is god if he has any children those children are what say it again that's right he was saying it's my son and he's god and he's saying listen to my son Verse 7, again, it says, A cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. I mean, the Father Himself points to His Son. And the Father's the head of the Trinity, the head of the Godhead. He's the one that's in charge of everything. And yet His plan has always been, I'm going to point to my Son. And the Holy Spirit has always been a part of the Godhead. And yet, you know what He does? He's always pointing to the Son. And here we are, we're the church, and we're Christians in here. You know what we're called to do? Point to the Son. That's why we come, we sing to Him, that's why we declare Scriptures about Him, that's why we proclaim His voice, which is preaching the Word of God. God the Father says, listen, this is my Son, listen to Him. I just pray that God would fall on us like a cloud. And I don't mean it has to be in some kind of experiential or emotional type of a way. It certainly was there. But just in faith to be able to say, God, would you just come? We want to listen to your Son. We want to honor your Son. We want to worship your Son. We want to be transformed by you, God. Would you come? A great proclamation to make back to the Father is this, to say, Father, Say, Dad, you love your son, and you want me to listen to him. I will. And just what a, a simple, a simple prayer. To say when you're alone, to say when you come and we're starting to gather, and we're starting to sing, we're praying, we're in the middle of preaching to be able to just say, God, God, you love your son. You want me to listen to him? I will. And then do it. Listen to him. 
Be ready for your life to be altered. So let's gather. Let's keep gathering. It is something supernatural when we come together. Don't don't rest on feelings. Don't say, well, okay, I didn't I didn't get an energetic, you know, I didn't get lightning going through myself like I think would happen if Jesus showed up at the transfiguration. Listen, you you're putting actually God in a box. You're you're chaining yourself when you do those things. In faith, just say, God, I just trust that you're gonna come and you're gonna transform us, but be expectant of it. And finally, let's respond just like Peter and say, It's good that we're here. God, it is good that we're here. And I pray for all of us that we would respond to you, that we would that we'd be further transformed. God, that you would reveal a little bit more of who you are and your greatness. Show us, show us who you are, God. For any of my friends that are unbelievers, God, would you take take our friends and bring them into the family, God? Would you do like you did to Saul? Would you do like you did to this young lady last night? Open eyes and free them. Give them life, Lord. May they just know all, all, all they need to do is just respond. They, they need to count the cost of what it means to follow you, to, to surrender everything, to give up all that they are. Repent. Turn away from the path that they've lived before and their own selfishness and turn to you. Repent and believe. Say, I believe you, Jesus. Take all that I am. Lord, for those of us as Christians, Lord, may we know that, that you are here. In fact, as, as we have communion in just a minute, for those who are baptized Christians, Lord, we pray, pray that you would uh, assist us, Lord, just in knowing that you're still saying, come, come, experience me. And that, and that through the palpable bread and, and juice or wine, as we take that bread and dip it in either the juice or in the wine and we eat it, Lord, that it's a reminder, Lord, that you're more real to us, more real in here than that bread and wine in our mouth and stomachs. Help us, Lord, as we respond to you right now. In Jesus' name.